time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey everybody and welcome. It's Christy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here and this is episode number 20. Number 20. Of our podcast, we can't say new anymore, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. We hug them and kiss them too. Don't forget to hug your chicken. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Coffee, coffee. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? The house blend. House blend. It's good. It is really good. So if you are a fan of fantastic coffee and scrumptious scones and other baked goods. Scrumptious. And you're local. Head on over to Coffee Coffee. You will not be disappointed. Yay, spring is here. Yeah, it's pretty nice. It's It's been nice, definitely. And our chicks are growing. Yeah, so many feathers. We have some exciting news to share with everybody. Mm-hmm. If you're local, which means if you're in Maryland or anywhere in the Mid-Atlantic and feel like driving a little bit, we are going to be at the Maryland Poultry Swap on April 24th. Yeah, and we're going to have a bunch of fun new stuff. Fun new wares. Mm-hmm. So we have two fantastic new t-shirt designs. Awesome, awesome t-shirts. We will have our logo mugs for sale. And yeah, and we're also going to have a little vintage corner. And wool. And wool. Wool. I'll be selling some of the wool from my sheep and llamas and alpacas. And plus it'll just be us there talking and... Having a good time. Having a good time. We would love to meet everybody. So if you're local... Step by and say hey. We talked about this in a bonus Mm -hmm. episode before, but it's a great event because... It brings everybody who loves chickens together, plus it brings breeders of chickens that are in your area or within a few states of you there so that you can purchase the poultry. Now, they definitely go through and check all the poultry, but you want to make sure you check poultry that you get there also. But more importantly, come meet us. Exactly. We're going to be there all day long. So if you're interested, you can check the Facebook page for Green Hill Farm, the Maryland Poultry Swap. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome event. We're so excited. Yeah, we'll look forward to meeting some of you. Yeah. Before we get to the poultry swap, though, mm-hmm. I just want to take a minute to tell you about Iowa Blue Farm. It's a woman-owned, family-run, all-natural chicken tree company in the Midwest. They make 100% all-American oven-dried black soldier fly grubs for all your poultry types. So if you have chickens, ducks, turkeys, quail, peacocks, pheasants, all the above, (laughs) it's a great product and they love these bugs. They are so packed with calcium and protein. Mm -hmm. They are great this time of year when chickens are laying a ton of eggs because they're so nutritious for them. Yeah, and like we said, all American made, you know exactly what the bugs ate, so you know exactly what your chickens are getting. If this is the first time that you want to go over and try out this product at Iowa Blue Farm, use the code COFFEE, all caps, 25, and get 25% off site-wide. That's, that is a great value. It is. And if you want to try something, it's a great time to do it with that 25% off. They are always baked with love. Ship with care. And shipping Shipping is always always free. free. So now what we want to move on to is this week's... Breed Spotlight. Breed Spotlight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me laugh. I never know what's going to come out of her mouth. I'm literally literally 
sitting here staring at her, and I don't know what she's going to do. The it's brain, a surprise every time. It, it makes it fun. makes it interesting. It does. So our brain spotlight is the Brahma. The Brahma. The queen of poultry. I mean, it's, I have to say, one of the biggest chickens I've ever seen, mm-hmm. besides the Jersey Giants. The Jersey Giants take the prize for the biggest domestic And you have both breed. types. Yes. I just must <laughs> like a big chicken. You like a big chicken. I like a big chicken. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted Brahmas for years, years. And when I finally got them, Pete and I got them. They were the first chicks we got together. Aww. Yeah. Pete loves them too. He really does. And they're beautiful. They are big. They are sweet and friendly. They're very huggable. And that's what we love, a huggable chicken. chicken. And just the feathering on them is gorgeous. They have the feathered feet. Yeah, yeah. And legs. Exactly. Okay, you can't go wrong with some feathers on the feet. No, it's adorable. You most commonly find Brahmas in the light pattern. Which is a white and black. Right, the white and black Colombian. Mm -hmm. Um, The buff. Which is buff. Buff Colombian, right? (laughs) And then the dark Brahma, which is not as common. It's a lot more common in the UK than it is in the US. I'm not familiar with that one as much. Beautiful silver and dark gray pencil feathers. And the roosters are gorgeous. Like their whole undercarriage is black. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And they have a pea comb. They're very cold hardy. With Which all makes feathers, them hardy. exactly the peacomb, their size, yeah, mega feathers, mega feathers is true. They're very fluffy. The hens average about eight pounds, about ten pounds for a rooster. That's a big chicken. That's a big chicken. Again, smaller than the Jersey Giant, where you get like a fifteen pound chicken. Wait, rooster. Okay, rooster. I'm sorry. I was gonna Never. say, what are the girls, the Jersey Giants, roughly? They're smaller. Uh, my theory is that both Brahmas and Jersey Giants, the hatch rate stock tend to be smaller. Yeah. And we wanted to buy from breeders, but just didn't find anyone who right. was selling pet quality birds. So I'm going to guess my Jersey Giant girls are probably seven pounds yeah. around there. So they're maybe a little smaller than the Brahmas or yeah. around the same size. Probably around the same size. So, I mean, it is a consideration before you get this chicken is to make sure your coop size is big enough for them. That you don't get something really small and then get 10 chickens. Right. Because they're larger. Don't play on a bantam coop and then get Brahmas. Yeah, exactly. So know your breed and the size that they're going to be. Yeah. And because they're so incredibly cold hardy, you need to watch them in the summer. They're right. nice and hardy. You know, they need lots of shade, cool dirt, fans. Pop, box fans are... Box fans are our best friends Are the best friends mm-hmm. for, for summertime and out there. So they'll need shade and all that stuff, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good thing for them in the summer anyway. All the exactly. They're a dual-purpose bird. Okay. Decent winter layers of, like, light to medium brown eggs. They lay about three eggs a week, and some of the hens do go broody, though none of mine have so far. So none of your girls has gone broody yet? I think um, caramel was gearing up one time, mm-hmm. and I just instantly broke it. How did you do that? I just shut her out of the coop altogether. I've done that. And, like, it, within two days, she was over it. Yeah. It doesn't always work. I've had some broody hens dig in. If you catch them super early. Well, she popped out one morning and she was making growly broody noises and throwing hay all over her back. So that was the end of that. But they also say, like, just take them out, separate them for a little while. Mm -hmm. I've done all these things. So the beautiful Brahma is currently on the Livestock Conservancy's poultry conservation list in the recovering category. We love the recovering category. Absolutely. We talked about this in the episode for Coaches, episode six. Okay. Along with the coach and the Brahmas helped fuel the hen fever in the UK and the US during the 1850s. When we were talking earlier, usually everyone, like when we talk about chickens, we talk about chickens not just on our podcast, but all the time. All the time. Every day. For reals. 
And when you were telling me what these chickens were going for yeah. in the 1800s, in the 1800s for two of them. So Queen Elizabeth did keep Brahmas as well as Cochins. And the Livestock Conservancy noted that in 1852, prices for a pair of Brahmas, two Brahmas, shot up to 100 to $150. And that is crazy Now money. keep in mind, 1800s. Yes, yes. That's how badly people wanted these chickens. Yeah. So right now, like that would be like thousands of dollars for two chickens. It would be. All these different trends are set up by the royals, you know, like sometimes well, through this. Suffice. And this is one another one that happened in the 1800s. Suffice it to say that Brahms and Cochins were not your normal backyard chicken. No. I mean, if they were going for that sort of money, they were reserved for wealthy people. Yeah. I mean, they have a very different look than most chickens. They do. And they have a very dignified look. They have the feathered feet and mm-hmm. legs. They're, they're different. Fancier. They're fancier looking. They're chicken. fancier. Yeah. But to be that expensive in the 1800s? I, it's crazy. It's mind-boggling, really. Yeah. They're, they're the most expensive, inexpensive eggs you can get. It's true. I will say that I, I think they're beautiful. But those personalities are what draw me in. I yeah. love, love, love my Brahma girls. Yes, definitely. Now I don't have I don't have Brahma, so I don't have that experience that you have. I don't I don't know as much. I know that yours are so sweet. They are. So it's a good breed for families, for kids. I would say definitely, yeah. And they're big. They're hardy chicken. They really are a hardy chicken. They're a fairly low maintenance chicken, but they definitely like human attention. I mean, as soon as they pop out of the coop, they're standing on my feet. They were yeah. petted. Yeah. They're really they're chatty, which I like. I like yeah. talkers. I like talking chickens, too. So, Brahmas have been in the U.S. for a while. They showed up in the American Culture Association's very first printing of the Standards of Perfection in 1874. I mean, well, okay, let's look. In the 1850s, they were selling for this much. Right, so, right. the 1874 makes sense if they were going to pop exactly. up there. And again, when birds ended up in the Standards of Perfection, it generally meant there was someone who was interested in breeding them for conservation and or showing. Right. And since they're a fancy-looking chicken, it makes sense that they would have been shown. And here's not the shocker. They're an Asian chicken. Yeah, the Asiatic class. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because they remind me kind of of the Cochin. They are derived partly from the Cochin. Well, we'll that's why that they in... remind you of Exactly. It. We'll get to that in a few minutes. So the dark and light, again, were both in the original standards of perfection. The light was developed in the United States, while the dark was developed more in the UK. It was more popular of the two in the UK. That's why the UK, they're more popular right now, the dark. Yeah, and the UK and US, I say I would say, are probably the premier countries with interest in the Brahma. The buff was added in 1924. Okay. But there are other non-American culture association color varieties, and it's kind of fascinating. There's a white, a black lace, black blue splash. And we were talking to Fiona a while back about Brahmas. Yes, they're on the list. They're and the, the list. lemon. The lemon. So the black blue splash, the lemon. There's a blue partridge, a bard, which I have not found a photo of, but I would love to see. Buff lace, which is amazingly gorgeous. And then an Isabel, right. which is like a lavender champagne bard. Nice. And it's hard to find them. They're easiest to find as hatching eggs. Yes. So that incubator might be happening sometime in the future. <laughs> well, you have bigger coops than me, yeah. so you have some room in there, but we both each did get six babies. Yes. And I'm going to say something a little off of what we're talking about, but the Favreaux's, mm-hmm. they're going to have some size to them also. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Those babies are big. They're big babies. I got the smallest of our Favreaux babies, but yours are head and shoulders Holy moly. They are big. And also charming with their feathered feet. Oh my goodness. You're, You're seeing another feathered feet. Yes. Fancy. 
Very fancy. So again, Brahmas in their present colors are largely American slash UK chickens. Right. They definitely come from foundation breeds from China. The Shanghai fowl, which we know is the Cochin. The Cochin. In India, there are not a lot of written records of this, and it really does get murky here. So there's something called the Chittigong fowl. They're supposed to be a chicken from India that gave the Brahma, the peacomb and the beetle brow, and it's referred to as the Chittigong fowl. <laughs> okay. Right? I can't even find photos of it. But then I found some other information that say that it was a Cochin and a Malay chicken. They do not resemble the melee at all no, to me. No, did some more digging and reading. And, and in some ways, the melee does make sense. I mean, I'm assuming it's what we refer to as the melee chicken and not another type of chicken from Malaysia. That chicken has a distinct look. It really does, but it does have the beetle brow look that the Brahma has. Okay. And it also would be the reason why it might have longer legs than, say, the Cochin. Right. Because it is taller than the Cochin. It is, but I don't I don't know. I don't know if I see it or not. I have to look at it again closer and compare. It certainly doesn't show up in the personality because Brahmas are so, so sweet. Yeah. So regardless, those are some possibilities. And it could have all breeds. been mixed Maybe. in together. It's possible. So I've also read repeatedly that the name Brahma comes from the Brahmaputra River near Bangladesh. Okay. Bangladesh. One story says that there were ships that were importing these chickens from China. Right. There was a ship that was coming back to the U.S. that stopped in the Brahmaputra area of Bangladesh with the chickens already on board. And so when the ship arrived at the U.S., they just called them the Brahmaputra chickens because that was the last geography where they were. Because of where they were. And the name kind of stuck after. Right. And it kind of makes sense given the way geographical names are handed out to breeds. Regardless, later on there was a publisher who shortened Brahmaputra to Brahma because it didn't fit. Right. And that stuck. So all these sound plausible to me, but as usual, there's not much documentation. Exactly. Because things happen way too early. So it's like not everything was written down and recorded then. Exactly. But it all makes sense. The only thing I have a hard time seeing is the melee. It's like the tallest chicken in the world, the melee. And they go for like odd looking pugnacious chicken. personalities. Like really crazy personalities. Really somewhat aggressive. Yes. yes. So anyway, all of that being said, the Brahma is really interesting. I wish we knew more of its history for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Suffice it to say, it's one of my absolute favorites. It is one of your favorites, that's for sure. If you're looking for more information, there's an American Brahma Club website. And there's one in Great Britain also. Facebook group. Perfect. So we'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And you can find out more information also. Absolutely. And once you go Brahma, you don't go back. (laughs) But yeah, it's definitely a family, fun, great chicken to have. Beautiful, beautiful chickens. A great addition to a backyard flock. Absolutely. So what we want to do is moving from the Brahma, talk a little bit about something that we've kind of been going through with our chicks. Brooder plate versus heat lamp for chicks. Yeah, if you listen to our Chicks 101 special episode, we talked about the fact that we were going to experiment with using a Brincy Brooder plate. Which we have. Which we have. And we, we do have kind of special circumstances this year in that our chicks were shipped and they arrived very chilled. Yes. So we were dealing with that. And so what was the overall conclusion you came to? My overall conclusion is it's a good thing to add to your repertoire, Mm -hmm. but not stand alone. Right. I definitely feel the same way right now. I feel like heat lamps have been used for many, many, many years. Oh, yeah. And there are many dangers with heat lamps. Yes. If you use a heat lamp correctly and you watch it, hopefully, you know, everything's safe. 
The heat lamp is a chick's best friend. I agree with you. Again, our chicks arrived dangerously chilled. Delilah, one of our Egyptian Fayumi chicks, we didn't think she was going to make it. So Pete used a hairdryer on her to get her temperature up. And the reason we needed to do that is because the brinsy doesn't come up high enough to deal with a hypothermic chick. Right. They will keep them from getting hypothermic. So if you're just taking them out of a warm incubator right. and putting them under there, they're probably fine. But again, our chicks were very dangerously chilled. Use it along with, but always have a heat lamp available, especially for the first week or two. Exactly. You sometimes need heats like 105 to help a hypothermic chick. Right. The Brinsy cannot get that high. No. Plus, we couldn't see the chicks underneath of it. They're so little, and they get under there, and you want to make sure when you first get them that they're eating and drinking and everything else, and they can't just hang out under the Brinsy. Right. So my other thing is, if you have your brooder in your house... Versus, okay, so yours is in your basement. Right. Mine is in my garage. Mm-hmm. Neither one of those places are going to hold heat. Very, well, in the summer, they're way hot. In the right. winter, they're kind of cold. Right. So. And we got our chicks very early in March. It's very early. Early as we've ever gotten them. I've never gotten chicks this early. Right. And it's impossible for them to stay under there 100% of the time. Right. To be able to eat and drink. Yeah. yeah. So you need your entire brooder warming up just as warm. Unless maybe you're in your house, some people set up like in their kitchen or in their family room, they set up their brooder. That's where we used to have a brooder until we got dogs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it might be better that you might be able to stand alone with. Exactly. If it's in your house. Because normally people keep their house 70, 72, something like that. So just going in and out, it's not super chill. Exactly. I feel like you definitely need the heat lamp for the first two weeks at least. And I'm still using it. Right. Because I feel like mine, they run around. Now, here's the other thing. They love the Brinsy. I know. They like to get on top of it. We call it their sun deck. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, they lay all around it. They lay on top of it. Right. I mean, stretch out everything. (laughs) And I think going forward, I would use it in conjunction. And they love to jump off of it. It's part of their, their jungle gym. Yeah. I would use it in conjunction with a heat lamp. Agreed. But right now, I would not use it standalone. Right. And as I said, if, if you're taking your chicks right out of an incubator where they're dried and warm, it yeah. might work well. But our chicks were shipped, so it's different circumstances. There are still things I love about the Britsy. I love that it's zero clearance. I really love that it only draws 12 watts of electricity. I love the safety factor. Exactly. Of the Brinsy. But there's no way it could be warm enough for what our chicks needed this year. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've put it aside for now and, and we'll revisit it. We definitely added it to our toolbox. Yes. And whether or not, if next time we get chicks, if it's a little later in the season. Right. Or if we get maybe Java and Brahma hatching eggs and we're taking <laughs> them out of an incubator. I like the product a lot. Right. I do too. I just want to feel like one day, two day old chicks, their temperature needs to be up like 100 degrees, basically. Exactly. And frankly, even if we were doing standalone Brincy, I would want the heat lamp on the side in case of emergency. Because again, the Brincy does not get warm enough to help a hypothermic chick. And it depending, you used a bigger brooder than me this year. Yes, we did. I used my like 80 gallon tub that I've used every single year. Right. And you branched out and used the pop up. Yes. So even with my 80-gallon tub, I still don't think the Brincy at first few weeks was enough heat for them. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, for one thing, like I said, I can't say it's enough. Mine are in my garage. Right. They're not in my home. Right, exactly. So we spend the most time ever yeah. in the garage <laughs> when yeah, we have right. chicks. Exactly. But they're just, that's where they are. And it has to be super warm for them the entire brooder. Right. Not just right under. So I was hoping no heat lamp. 
Exactly. That's what I was hoping. And the other thing is, using a heat lamp isn't bad, and no one should shame anybody else if you do. Oh, absolutely not. I've used a heat lamp for 20 years and had no problems. It's inherently dangerous, but so is your stove. Everything's dangerous. <laughs> you, you take precautions, and you watch it carefully. And you know the risks. Right. As long as you're aware of the risks. Exactly. And you're using it the best that you can. Right. Like you said, it's another good thing in the toolbox. Maybe we'll figure out a way to use the burn seat by itself. But right now, it's in addition to. And just a quick little story before we go into the next segment. We had some windstorms a week or two ago. Right. And our power kept going out. Beautiful thing about the Brincy is that it only pulls 12 volts of electricity. Right. So on our backup batteries, it would have lasted a lot longer than a heat lamp. Yeah. And it just so happened that the windstorm, it was also very cold. Yes, it was. So it was like a catch-22. Like, yeah. can you just run the Brincy? Is it going to be okay? Right. Even if we figure out a way to just use the Brincy, you know, however we may come to that, if we're just using the Brincy, I think I'll always have a heat lamp standing by. I will always have a heat lamp. Exactly. Always. Like, I I use it for the chicks. Right. Um, I've used it actually and run power to my run before. Okay. Before I had heated bulbs. Uh And clipped it to my fencing and put it over the water. Oh, that's clever. To keep it from freezing. Right, right. Just good to have in your toolbox. It is. It's inexpensive to buy. It is inexpensive to buy. You just never know when it might come in handy. Yeah. So overall, what are we both saying? That both in conjunction work great together. Right now, there are good things about both of them. We'll probably right now use the heat lamps as the primary, but we are completely open to continuing to use the Brincy as we figure out ways to make it work. I agree. Definitely a great product. Okay, everybody. It's time to go across the pond and have coffee with the owner. Yeah. Don't ask me to sing. Please don't. <laughs> She'll sing for all three of us. Don't worry about that. I am the singer. That's girl. good. I don't want you to, to lose <laughs> listeners because I'm singing. So, okay. We have Fiona on board with us. How are you doing? I'm really good. As long as I'm not singing, it's good. I'm really good. <laughs> Don't worry. It is not part of your job description. Don't worry. I will Thank sing you. for all of us. She really will. <laughs> I will sing for all of us. So today with Fiona, we're going to be talking about preparations for the broody hen. And there are some preparations you got to make because broody hens are a breed all their own. Absolutely. These are a lot of the questions I had about how to set up, how to figure out if your hen is definitely broody. And then where do you put her? How do you prepare for when she starts taking the chicks out of the coop? All of these things. And Fiona is our expert on this. So why don't you start us off? Yeah, well, I've been uh, breeding with um, Buff Orpingtons, which are notorious for being broody for a few years. So we use their broody tendencies to incubate and raise the chicks. And identifying a broody hen is actually quite easy okay. because they've got, you know, when they're sat on eggs, they're kind of fluffed up and they've got their backside kind of in the air a little bit as they're turning yes, the egg around. Exactly. Well, when they're brooding, it's like the air has been let out of them. There's like a flat pancake, flat tire kind of look to them. And they want to stay in the <laughs> nest box all the time. Okay. So basically, they're trying to spread their body out as flat as they can so that they can keep the warmth as wide as they can cover and, keep, the and cover everything. Absolutely. At the same temperature. Okay. I mean, one of the biggest tests you can do is to feel underneath the, the chicken and they actually pluck the feathers away from their chest. Now, the only thing with this is you can't see it when they're stood up and walking around. That's a really bizarre thing. And it's oh. fascinated me for years that they have this skill that they pluck just enough. So when they're sat down, their chest is completely bare. But when they're stood up, 
the remaining feathers kind of interlock and you can't oh, yeah. tell. Wow. So you have to actually feel underneath them when they're sat down. And if you feel bare skin, the likelihood and, is that And that eating. is so that the skin is considered to have the most warmth and that the skin sits directly down on the egg. Absolutely. Okay. It helps them to regulate that humidity and that temperature for the eggs. So fascinating. So the broody hen has a job, as you say, to... Yeah, I mean, her, her job is to protect the nest. I mean, they need to um, hatch those eggs. So the nicest chicken in the world can turn into an absolute freaky monster. <laughs> really, really horrible chicken. And oh, they, yeah. they have this noise that we call the eagle chicken. And yes. it's a very specific squawk that yes. no other chicken ever makes. And it does sound like an eagle. It does a bit. And it's designed to drive off any other hens in the area. And people who might touch them. And people who are like, look, you need to come out and eat, please. They're like, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they can actually try and bite you too. Oh, yeah. So you might need leather them. gauntlets. Yeah, leather gauntlets, really useful. So the first bit of equipment is leather gauntlets. (laughs) Leather gloves all the way. The only thing is, if you've got a hen which does the attack mode and you want to actually stick your hand underneath to feel if they've got bare skin to test if they are broody, it's a bit of a problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just have to tough it out. We've even seen on your Instagram page the video that you've placed up, and it's hilarious. Anyone who wants to go and check it out. Yeah, Ginger Ginger was a little star. She was so sweet as well during the day. She was so friendly and so lovely. And then she brooded and she turned into a right little monster. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, go away. I'm horrible. I mean, I was lucky she she didn't break the camera, to be honest. I mean, she hit the camera so hard. Oh, wow. Yeah, it looked looked kind of vicious the way she she came out. She meant it. And if yeah. you're opening up and going in a nesting box, you know, it's like hard to get out of there. It's like, oh, yeah. oh my goodness. Okay. So once they go broody, should they stay in the communal coop or should they come out and get their own area? Well, the best thing to do, in my opinion, is to separate them out. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because their job is to protect the nest. Okay. But the other problem is that The other hens, their job is to create a pot for a broody hen to sit on to incubate. So they have an instinct to lay eggs in exactly the same place as all the other hens. Okay. Why everyone wants to lay in the same box because they're (laughs) trying to create a clutch for a broody hen. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. So when you're frustrated and your hens are driving you crazy, fighting over the same box, it's actually a biological imperative. Natural instinct. Yeah. So you could end up with you've had your broody hen sat on 12 eggs for 12 days and another hen comes in, wants to lay its eggs in the same place, mm-hmm. and you get a new egg that's got no chance of making it oh. to that 21 stage point. And the likelihood is that it's going to push another egg out of the nest as well. So you could have a viable egg removed. You could also have the broody hen attack the other hen. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can then get into fights. You can end up with broken eggs. So actually, the best thing you could possibly do is separate them out. Okay. Okay. So when you have the broody hen and then you take her and put her back into her own coop, is that the point where you take the eggs and slip them under her? 
Well, normally what we do is we want to make sure that she's fully set first because sometimes you get broody hens who kind of play with it. The hormone levels aren't quite the right level. So the best thing to do is to, well, we give them one full night, a full day and a second night just to make sure they're okay. Then we lift them up and move them to another coop and that can break them sometimes as well. So once they're in the brood coop, again, we move them at night. So they have a full night, a full day, another night. And then the second day, we'll put eggs under her if she hasn't broken. So what you're saying is if she sits by herself hormonally without the eggs for basically it's like three nights or so, then she will definitely sit on the eggs for the remainder of the time that you put them under. Well, I would actually say if you're leaving her in the communal coop, and you're happy to take the risks of them being broken or fights breaking out, that you can actually wait just 36, 48 hours, and you can be happy to put eggs underneath them. But if you're going to move them to a new coop, you're adding an additional risk in that they could break. So it's best to add that extra time just to make sure before you run the risk of giving them eggs. Completely understandable. And to me, I think I would rather take the extra time and move her, have her comfortable and then, you know, put the eggs under because no other chicken is going to come in and bother her afterward. And it's just going to be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good reason for giving them a coop and a run, because first of all, the other chickens can't come in and bother them. But the other point is that, you know, when they've been out to eat and drink, because chickens don't evacuate the bowels in a nest when they've got uh, eggs that they're trying to incubate. And the issue then is that some hens will just sit and sit and sit. And if you've got run attached to the coop, you know that if there's poop in that run, they've been out and they've taken proper care of themselves. If there's no poop, you need to intervene and make sure that she's coming off the nest and having a bit of a break before she goes back in. It's so such a devoted mom to like give all of herself to hatching these babies, you know, like to even deprive herself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we do have one chicken who will always sit for two days. Most of our chickens will come out every day and they come out almost like clockwork. It's at the same time. So once you can establish the time you normally see them, everything's okay. You can just go out at that same time, make sure that she's having a little wander around and eating and drinking. Right. But if you don't see her, you know there's a problem. Right. But I've got one chicken called Cindy who it's 48 hours a cycle. And I don't really know why, but for her, it's always 48 hours. <laughs> I have uh, one of my black jersey giant hens, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I am so jealous of, of your jersey giant chickens. They're the loveliest hens. They really are sweethearts. Ruthie sat in the nest box for a full six weeks. I started taking her out like three or four times a day so she would eat. She was losing weight and I was really worried about her. Yeah. I felt bad that I didn't have anything for her to sit on. But there really wasn't anything I would have hatched at the time. The thing is, if you if you don't want them to hatch and you don't want to go through the process of rapidly breaking them, 
actually one of the things you can do is give them false eggs and you can buy plaster of Paris eggs or plastic eggs to yeah. put under them. And if you put them under them for 10 to 14 days and then remove them, that accelerates the breaking process. Oh, oh that's the, natu- really the natural basic breaking process. That's very helpful to know. Okay. Okay. Great. So let's just reiterate that so that everybody hears that if you have a broody hen, you can put ceramic or plastic eggs under for how many days again? 10 to 14? Well, what I found is 10 to 14 days and then I remove them. I mean, th- this is just something I found out with our own Buff Orpingtons over time and it's not yet failed. Okay. That's awesome. Well, you, you have that from hard one experience. So, so I'm sure uh, I'm now going to get comments on YouTube saying it's, it's not worked for me, but in okay. our experience, it's not, for your it's not failed for it's us. Worked, so it's good enough for us to try. If we Absolutely. Do. So I had an Orpington named Josie who wanted more than anything in this world to be a mommy. I even called Holly. I'm like, you have her white eggs that you want hatched because I would take her out. I even did the separate her in a separate cage for a little while to try to break her. Yeah. Didn't work. She would just, she was never mean. She just always wanted to be a mom. And that was the thing. Like when the temperature would go up at all, the start of spring, usually yeah. 65 or 70. Boom. Something in her was like, I need to have babies. I remember. And now this has been several years because you lost Josie a few years ago. But Chrissy had taken her out and shut the coop up to try to break her that way. So she couldn't get back in the coop. And Josie went across the property to the compost pile and found an old nest box structure there and was perching in it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She still wanted to have some eggs. It was one of those old like wood boxes that you can purchase like for an outside nest box. Mm -hmm. If you're having like nest box wars or something. And I have it for like my hospital pop-up. So like if they come in with a medical issue, there's still a nesting box in the pop-up for them. So it was sitting out. I'm on the phone with Holly and I'm like, I cannot tell you right now. (laughs) It's just sitting there in the dirt. And she went and sat in it and just looked at me and was like, and then she would also pace and try to jump back in the run anything to get back in that nesting box. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I know someone who tried the same thing to close the coop up during the day and force them to be outside. And this hen decided to just set up shop underneath a hedge. And she did actually um, hatch a clutch of eggs underneath the hedge. And they were so lucky that a fox didn't get them. So, so lucky. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like so hormonal that their, their their bodies are, everything's going up, their temperature, and they're like, want to be a mom, want to be a mom, and give me eggs it's, to sit on. The only problem is it's the same hormone that triggers egg laying. So it's a hormone called prolactin, which is which comes from the pituitary gland. Oh, okay. And when they brood, it, the, those levels go through the roof. And I've had another question on YouTube tonight saying, again, how do I stop them going broody? And I just have to keep saying, you can't. You cannot prevent this process. All you can do is deal with it once it's there. So you can accelerate the breaking or you can encourage them not to sit on eggs, but you can't stop them wanting to brood. Isn't it funny, too, how you can have multiple of the same breed so my two Orpingtons, Bubbles and Buttercup, who are left, have never gone broody ever. We find two out of three Orpingtons normally brood. Ours, we've actually bred the broody tendencies back in to a yeah. certain degree. So we now get three out of four will brood. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, my two that are left, Buttercup and Bubbles just have never. It's for me, it's good because I did I wasn't breeding, so I was like, okay, one less thing. If I had to breed, Josie would have been the mom of the year. There's no doubt, probably. Did Buttercup and Bubbles kind of be like the spinster ants that looked after, helped look after the chicks? Because we've had that with a couple of our broodies where we had um, hens which have never brooded, but they've sat with the broody hen all the way through the process and then they've helped to raise the chicks. Oh, that's so sweet. Bubbles did that with Josie. So okay. she would go in and she would kind of sit next to her, but not in the nesting box for a while. But if I came back with treats or something, Bubbles is like, you're on your own for a while. There's food. <laughs> I'm going yeah. back out. And then she would go in. So now I'm kind of seeing it with the lavenders who are also Orpingtons that one is kind of showing a little bit of she could go broody. She's nowhere near broody. It's not warm enough yet. But where she's showing a little bit of tendencies, I'm like, oh, this is going to be the one. But it's so funny with the chicks, our one Orpington Iris who sleeps in the garage in her cage at night sits on the brooder and looks down at the chicks and fell asleep there. It's so sweet. Watching the chicks. Oh, that's lovely. And she just looked at them like, I'll be your mommy. Oh, it's so sweet. It's so sweet. There's nothing. Do you know, we actually had, we, one of my uh, Orpingtons, my oldest Orpington, who's now my pet, called Gannett. You might see her in some of the videos. Mm-hmm. She actually raised a clutch of egg about, a clutch of eggs three years ago with another broody hen called Sage. Oh, and wow. they swapped eggs. Oh. So they each had 12 eggs. Wow. And they regularly swapped eggs between them because we numbered them. So we could tell. So Gannett had one to 12 and Sage had 13 to 24. And you'd go in and all the odd numbers would be under another one of the chickens and all the even (laughs) numbers. It wasn't quite as, you know, it wasn't quite like that clearly because they can't count. But they did swap all these eggs all the time. And when the chicks hatched, they raised them together. And it was the funniest thing because the two broody hens would start to wander off in different directions. And the chicks would tend to migrate to one or the other. And the other broody hen would just come back. So, you know, where's my kids? I've lost my children. Two moms (laughs) are better than one. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. Honestly, we've never seen anything like it. That is so If one mom says no, you go to the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say theoretically that my Ruthie goes broody again and we have gotten our hands on some of the hatching eggs that we want. So here's where my 1001 questions come in. I decide to move her. What should her coop look like? Are there any things you you need to have structurally in place? Ideally low down because chicks are not good at climbing, even a low ramp on their very first few days because they're not very well coordinated, bless them. It is hard for them to get up. You should be able to block up any space which is underneath the coop. So even if you've got, say, an inch or two rise from the ground, block it just with some bricks so they can't get underneath. Because the reason for that is when the broody hen goes back into the coop, she will call the chicks in from inside. Sometimes the chicks don't understand that the broody hen's inside. They run underneath because that's the closest to the broody hen calling. And you can end up with chicks with hypothermia if you don't realize that's where they are. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is no ladders, ramps only. That makes perfect sense. When you were talking about they don't hear, the chicks don't hear, I was just thinking of my own two girls like, 
that happens to me on an everyday basis, right. like calling them and they don't come. Exactly. <laughs> I really like, I, I have to. I, hearing isn't a problem. They hear the booty hen just right, but they don't connect the, they don't connect the fact that they can't see her okay. with the fact that the voice is so close to them. Right. Yeah. There's they're like, where is she? Oh, yeah. There's still a little of those first couple of days. So I was figuring low to the ground. So that makes sense. Block off any of the possible places they could get underneath. And so we have our hen in the lowdown, in the lower coop, and she has her eggs under her. What are our next steps? The next steps are to think about what could go wrong and what are you prepared to do about it? Okay. So there is a possibility that your hen might break partway through the brood. Now, does that mean that you're happy for nature to take its course, in which case you let her wander off and the eggs would just go very cold and actually would die? Or would you want to invest in an incubator and continue the process in an incubator, in which case you're then going to have to think about what's going to happen with those chicks afterwards because your broody hen's not going to raise them because your broody hen's already broken. So So you're going to need a brooder plate and all of the other equipment. Okay. Right. That's something that honestly, I think that if you're going to go down this road and and use a broody hen, I think that you should take the next step and have an incubator on hand. Just the precaution of having all your bases covered. If it happens and then you go to order it, it's going to be a day or two. What if you can't sit on those eggs yourself? Well, you could, but <laughs> I mean, seriously, that would take care of that. So, I mean, you need to, if you're going to go down this road and you want to be completely 100% prepared, having it is part of being prepared. Roughly, so let's say you did have your incubator in place and your broody hen quits. Roughly, how long do you have from the time she abandons the eggs to get them into the incubator? It depends on the air temperature of the day. Okay. That's the short answer. If it is a normal uh, sort of spring day, say 20 degrees Celsius, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. If it's about 20 degrees Celsius, you'd normally find your broody hen will wander out, have a bit of food and be back in the coop within an hour. If you've got a, a really warm summer's day and you're up to 30 degrees Celsius, you might find that the broody hen would be out for two hours. Okay. Okay. So 20 degrees Celsius is about 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're probably talking about the 70 degree range. For one hour. In the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then 80 degrees. For two hours. For two hours. They have to be on their heat source of some sort at that point. Correct. Yeah. I mean, we've got autumn as well. and We've had broody hens on eggs and they've not left the nest for more than 10 minutes at a time. So it really does depend on the air temperature of the day. And it's a good idea actually to watch how long your broody hen does spend out from the nest before she goes back in, because that will give you an indication of roughly how long you've got. And if you know your broody hen is coming away from the nest at roughly the same time each day, the likelihood is when they leave the nest, that's the time when they decide they're not going to go back. They won't just get up at another time of the day. I have a strange question for you. So say your hen is broody and then breaks brood and, and leaves this clutch of eggs. Have you ever seen it where another hen steps up or say you have a hen going broody you take that hen and she sits on finishes the eggs like say we have done that you've had that happen yeah we've we have done that but it's it has only been successful when the broody hen when the time when the broody hen breaks and the other broody hen is going broody is sort of in the first 
12 or so days. Beyond that, the chicken realizes that she hasn't been sat on the eggs for long enough and gets a little bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. Usually it works out, but sometimes we've had to scoop the chicks up and put them into a brooder. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I would think is just to be prepared. If this is the adventure you want to take on, letting your broody hen go ahead and sit on the eggs is just to have an incubator. That's one of those pieces of equipment that will serve you well, whether you use it the first time, the second or the 20th, it's worth being prepared Absolutely. There's not a lot of time, like you said, one hour for 70 degrees, two hours for 80 degrees that you can move these in. So it seems like a good idea to have. And there's different price ranges that you can find them, correct? I mean, you don't have to buy a super expensive one. You just have one on hand. We made a big mistake when we first bought an incubator because we only bought it as a backup. And we bought one of these very cheap ones from eBay. And it was appalling. However... We still have it now because we do use it if the chick has had trouble hatching and we don't need the turning of the cradles. Okay. So we can just fill it up with humidity and get that chick hatched out before we pop them in the brooder. So they're only in there for a very short period of time. Right. But for incubating, it was a Appalling. It's dreadful. The turning is unreliable. The angles aren't very good. It doesn't turn to any great degree. The humidity, you have to know how to measure the relative water in the air to actually get humidity right. It was impossible. I just didn't have that kind of qualification, quite frankly. (laughs) So if you get many of us do. Yeah. So if you do your research, you get a good incubator that's going to turn the A's, get the proper humidity. It's a good idea to have it on hand just to be safe because you want, wouldn't want to get halfway through this process and have the hen all of a sudden say, I'm done. Right, <laughs> Walk right. away. Yeah. I mean, we've yeah. got a Brinzy. We've got a Br- uh, Brinzy uh, Ovation 28, and it is amazing. It does everything for us. It does nice. the turning, the regulates the temperature. Awesome. I mean, the only thing we have to do is fill it, fill the water reservoir up in the morning. That's it. And oh, it that's, does that's all the thinking that's for great. us. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So are there any other things that we should know about this process? Just be patient and remember that the broody hen is a hen. I mean, it's got a mind of its own and she's going to do what she's going to do. Mm -hmm. So it's a case of they don't read the books, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. So you need to work with their own rhythms. They may not come out every 24 hours. They might come out every 48 hours. But if they don't come out every 48 hours, you need to start lifting them out. Okay. They may spend 10 minutes out the nest because that's what they want to do when they may not need to do it. But then again, they may want to take the maximum amount of time before the eggs start getting into trouble to be out because they want to go for their sand bath and their dust bath and their massage from the rooster and you know all the other things that hens want to do. Right. They want a gift certificate for a great spa day after those. Oh, yeah. They're like, I'm going to the best dirt, park, dirt <laughs> sand pit anywhere and rolling in it after this is all done. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I guess just be prepared. Know what can happen and 
have fun with it. But one thing to know is once you have a broody hen, you need to keep eye on the broody hen, on the eggs, on everything, and make sure checking her multiple times a day, making sure everything's going okay. And if not, intervene, do something. But I still think it's less work than an incubator. Yeah. Because she's still doing so much for you as well. And you don't have to worry about the chicks once she's got those chicks hatched and you've got over actually getting them out and into the wherever you, you're free-ranging them, I'm, I'm assuming free-ranging, and out with the rest of the flock, she does everything for you. She protects them. She introduces them into pecking order. She makes sure they've got enough food, enough water, enough warmth. It's amazing. It sounds, yeah, it sounds fantastic. It's probably amazing for the health of the chicks as well. Yeah, it's a natural process. So everyone, if you decide to do this, please listen. And you know what? Fiona has a YouTube channel. It's called yeah, it's English Country Life. And we've got lots of videos about the booty hen process on there. Right. So check her out on YouTube also. It's amazing. Your videos are amazing. Your house and yard are beautiful. You won't be disappointed. So check her out and also give her some love. She's a fluke lady over on Instagram. Hit that follow button. I will also put uh, links to, I'll put links to English Country Life, the YouTube channel in our show notes. Um, And if I find a couple of the good broody videos, I'll put links to them on our show notes as well. Yeah. And if anybody has questions or anything, please email us or direct message us. We have no problem answering anything. I do have a video on identifying the broody hen um, for the listeners, which might be interesting because you can actually see the visuals, which related to the things we've talked about. I will definitely find that and link to it. Sounds perfect. Okay. So until next time, we'll see you later, Miss Fiona. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you again, Fiona. As always, that was fascinating. I love talking to Fiona. Fiona. Okay. So it's time for... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Today, we're keeping it simple, Mm -hmm. but it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Sometimes simple is best. The art of the scrambled egg. Yeah, and you're ahead of the pack if you're using your own eggs because you spoil your chickens and they have lots of vitamins and minerals and delicious eggs. Oh, yeah. And your eggs are super, super, super healthy from your backyard. Mm -hmm. And they're super fresh. Oh, exactly. Before the average shopper is able to get their hands on those eggs. It's a long time. Mm -hmm. For you and for all of us who have backyard chickens, it's lay the egg and you can eat it right away. That's right. So the art of the scrambled egg. The first thing is that who knew that such a simple staple recipe could have so many variations? Oh, yes. Um, The other interesting thing is that people are crazy loyal to their preferred texture of scramble. I am. I probably am. I'm raising my hand right now. Who else is raising your hand? Probably everyone. I mean, if it's a little off from where I like it, mm-hmm. it's like, I can't eat. I can't eat. I don't yeah. know what it is. I mean, some people like them really creamy. Some people like them very well cooked. Most people like an in-between. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Everyone really has their own method. What's so yours? I like them very cooked. I like them a little creamier. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I like them in larger chunks, uh-huh. but very like firm. Right. That's the American scrambled egg. The American scrambled right. egg tends to be large, soft and fluffy curds, creamy, but definitely cooked, but not dry. Exactly. The French version is creamier and not cooked quite as much. That's what I grew up eating. And I probably grew up the other way, probably. I guess, mm-hmm. the way my mom is. She wants everything like completely cooked. Yeah. 
So our mothers both did asparagus and eggs, but they did them quite differently. Yes. So this is so funny. This is about scrambled eggs. But Ella, this is my 11-year-old daughter, she has been making scrambled eggs since she was probably five. Okay. So as soon as we got the chickens for the first time... She wanted to scramble them? She wanted to scramble the That's eggs. That's so cute. So she took our little step stool in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and we I showed her how to do it. Right. And Joe showed her how to do it. Uh-huh. And she sat at the pan and just, you know, stirred and stirred. Oh, that's so cute. So when we have scrambled eggs for dinner, she makes them. Nice. <laughs> nice. But sometimes she will make them just like I like them. And sometimes they'll be a little undercooked. And she's like, they're ready. And I'm like, no, they're, they're not probably, ready. They'd probably be perfect for me then. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, no, let them go a few more minutes. But she's been making them since age five. That's fantastic. Yeah, we should have brought her on as a guest for the Art of the Scrambled Egg. Ella, come and tell us about your scrambled eggs. (laughs) So this is almost not even a recipe. Like, the simplest definition of scrambled eggs is a dish where the egg yolks and the whites have been whisked together and cooked over low heat. Exactly. And you know what the key is, for one thing, is low heat. Exactly. If someone takes their heat up too high, Mm -hmm. the heat can just burn the egg and it's too quick. It can overcook way too quickly. So, yeah, and I always scramble my eggs in a bowl first. Yeah, me too. And then pour them in. But uh-huh. I know that people can also also do it the other way. And I've actually done it in a hurry where you just put the eggs right in the pan and then use a fork I've or a whisk. I've never done it. I always do it in a bowl. I've done it both ways. Okay. If I'm in a really big hurry, mm-hmm. that pan's sitting there, I yeah. just crack it in. And, but that's not very often. Usually I put everything in a bowl in the first. Bowl, right. So sometimes milk, cream, or even water are added. To make them fluffier. Make them fluffier, that's right. Cheese, herbs, and butter are added sometimes. Yes. Any of those? And I mean, you can make all different variations. So mm-hmm. you can call it your whatever. Like, if you want to add black beans, corn, you can make a Southwest scrambled egg. You can, yeah. You could make an Italian scrambled egg. Yes. With some tomatoes, some peppers. It sounds good. It does. And then maybe, you know, put some cheese on top, some provolone. Scrambled eggs and cheese. cheese is my favorite add-in. I really feel like yeah. it's it's delicious with cheese. So no matter what you put in there, the key is the low heat. Low heat. A spatula or a wooden spoon or something like that. You start to drag it through the eggs as soon as they start to yes. set. And that's how you form the large curds. Exactly. And the cooking consistent. And you have to keep it moving. Right. Because once they start to set, it actually doesn't take that long no. for them to, to finish cooking. No, not at all. Oh, the other thing that we wanted to add in to everyone, which mm-hmm. we've heard before, uh-huh. and since I've heard it somewhere, I don't do this either, is not to add salt until the end. Right, right. Because if you add it too soon, it makes the... It changes the texture of the egg. It can make them rubbery. Yes. Yeah. So I think it has something with drawing moisture out of the egg, which makes sense. Salt is a desiccant. Yeah. So if you add the salt and pepper, basically at the very end of the eggs Mm -hmm. cooking, it doesn't do that, but it just adds flavor. Okay. Perfect. So yeah, I think, like you said, I think low heat is the art of the scrambled egg. And this one is, we just wanted to talk about it because with backyard chicken farming, Mm -hmm. we're all eating a lot of scrambled eggs. Absolutely. Let's put that out there. I really like them with cheese and I like them creamier, but you don't really have to do too much to make them delicious. No. You start with good quality eggs. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner, you can have scrambled eggs. And even the chickens can benefit from eating scrambled eggs also. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, if you have some extra eggs, you don't want to know what to do with them. They can take that calcium back in, the protein, and use it for them. And just learning to kind of be patient with it. And sometimes it's experimental, like try it a different way or add different stuff to it. Mm -hmm. And you get a whole new different taste to the egg. What's your favorite way to eat them? I have a favorite way, actually. Okay. 
I like them scrambled with salsa on top. Oh, that's so good. I do like them with salsa. Yeah. It mm-hmm. just can be plain. Yeah. Sometimes not even cheese. Right. But the salsa on top of the egg. Yes. I have Sophia, my other daughter, who's 16, eating them that way now. I eat eggs and salsa and all kinds of different combinations. Oh, yeah. It never tastes bad. It's always great. Yeah. It's always great. Like, you can make it. I, I kind of like Southwest stuff. Yeah, I always bring too. it up, but I do. Mm-hmm. The salsa. And sometimes, you know, I even make kind of what's an omelet, but not really. Like, I like to scramble my eggs and, like, fold over and then cut the egg and let them kind of cook that way. Yeah. In larger pieces. Omelet-ish. Omelet-ish. Yeah. Omelet-ish. Not totally. But <laughs> That's hard to say. So. So, there's our delicious eggs. Hey, maybe with salsa. Everybody reach out. Tell us how you eat your scrambled eggs. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we would love to know. We would love to see some photos. Okay, so now it's time for retail therapy. Yeah. Retail therapy. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize there was more of it. <laughs> yeah. So this week, we had a company reach out to us and ask us to review their product. Mm-hmm. And it's Eaton Hemp Bedding. Yeah, they're a New York company, a farmer-owned company. Yes. And they reached out to us and wanted us to try their hemp bedding, which we did. We did, yeah. And we really liked this bedding. It's very good. And the one thing that we really liked about it, and you did, uh-huh. was it's great in nest box. I think that's my favorite thing about it. It makes the ideal yes. nest box bedding, in my opinion. I agree, in mine, too. Mm-hmm. The nest box has to kind of keep, in the winter, in, in the early spring, keep heat because they're going to be sitting in right, there. Right, right. And it's so fluffy it's and very comfy. Soft. It's very low dusted. It doesn't break down quickly. Right. You know how you go to clean a nest box out and the shavings have broken down? You know, right. sort of powdery dust? Yes. The hemp doesn't break down that way. And it's just a great product to put in there. It's super comfy mm-hmm. for them. Like you said, it lasts longer. It is a little more expensive, but with it lasting longer and the quality of the product, it's yeah. definitely worth the price. A little goes a long way. And I would say that our overall opinion of this is that even if you chose to stick with your own, you know, your regular bedding or shavings or whatever you use, don't be afraid to invest in a bag of this just for nest box bedding. It's awesome for that. It, it really is. Definitely amazing for the nest box. And that's the big takeaway is that we really like it for that. Yeah. The other thing is that it's a natural product. It is. This is a very, very eco-friendly product. It's a natural byproduct of hemp manufacturing. It does not contain any of the narcotic compounds. Exactly. It, so everyone, don't try to go out and make some brownies out of it. <laughs> <laughs> It's an excellent product for your chickens. Right. And hemp plants themselves are easy on the environment to grow and to process for its various uses, um, including fiber. It makes a fantastic fabric. Oh, yeah. And I've even knitted with hemp yarn, which is kind of fascinating. across the board is like the new up and coming, like for everything. Yeah, it really is fantastic. So it's also wicks the moisture away very well. Yeah, which means that if you just want to pick the bedding out with a kitty litter scoop, and you know, because it's a pricier bedding, a little goes a long way. Exactly. Cleaning it that way can be really cost effective. Right. Its moisture absorption was really impressive. Yes, it was. And it does absorb odors fairly well. Yes. We didn't use it this way, but I've talked to people who use their hemp bedding as a deep litter method. Right. So they rake it regularly and then just add more each week. Right, which would offset the price of it, and you would be using it for a much longer time. Exactly. It can also be used in the run. Yes. Now, here's the key thing that I like about this company. Uh Uh-huh. 
We all have chickens who will eat anything. Oh, yes, we do. And everything that they're not supposed to eat. Yep. If you have a chicken that just can't contain themselves from eating things that are going to be more fibrous in the crop and cause problems, right? the company themselves puts a disclaimer on the bag. Yes, on the bag that this product can cause impaction if your animal eats too much of it. Yeah, so if you know you have a chicken that is, I call them garbage crops, (laughs) (laughs) then they'll tell you, don't use this. If your chickens are great with straw, anything else, Uh then this would be great for you. And it's even more natural, better on the environment even. It breaks down easier than, let's say, straw whatever. It does. It composts really well, which I like about it. Exactly. Um, And the bedding itself is short pieces. So if you do have someone who's prone to eat it, at least it's short pieces. They're not eating really long pieces. If they eat one or two pieces, they'll be fine. It's probably not the end of the world. I also have a straw eater. Yeah. So I did not use this in their coop, so I did not test it. I used this in the rescue rooster coop. Which you were thankful for a company to be that honest. Absolutely. And put that disclaimer on the bag, which to me tells you an immense amount about them. Really impressed with this product. Absolutely. With the product and with the company. Eaton Hemp Bedding. It's fantastic. You can find it on Amazon. Yes. We actually have it on our storefront. We have it on our storefront. You can get to it on our Instagram, as Chrissy just said. And I have the link to it in our show notes as yeah. well for this episode. And again, they're a New York company, farmer owned. USA. It's a fantastic product. Yeah. You can't go wrong. Okay, so what are we looking into for next week? Next week, we're going to tell you the fascinating story of the Morans. Oh, boy. Yeah, it really is interesting. This week was the Brahmas for you, and next week's the Morans for me. Yeah, and I'm telling you, the the Morans, I could have written a book. Seriously, they're so interesting. Well, your goddaughter is Drusilla. Yes. Well, we'll find out why the Morans are called the stepsisters, and and they get that nickname, honestly. So, yes. We're also going to talk about our top five favorite heritage breed layers. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. Cracking the eggs, spring frittata. Yay! And retail therapy is one of our favorites. Vintage egg dishes. Yay! Now, that's one of our new passions that we're really going to be crazy We've really gotten into the deviled egg dishes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, Uh we can't wait to chat about those. Yeah, that'll be good stuff. Okay. So, before we go, we have to tell everybody to do one thing. Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them, too. Don't forget. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show so that we can bring you even more high-quality chicken content, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.